Hello and welcome to Smart and Well, a podcast supporting mental health and well-being for students and early career researchers from all the academic fields. Today, we want to raise awareness about a mental health condition that can affect anyone, regardless of their age, gender or background. Yet, it remains stigmatized both within and outside of academic circles. In this episode, we will talk about depression. Despite it being a serious medical condition, depression is often seen as a weakness or a personal failing. Uh, this is a very dangerous misinterpretation, especially knowing that it can have a very significant impact not only on individuals' academic work, but also overall quality of life. These kinds of prejudices can lead to stigmatization and generate feelings of shame or embarrassment for people with depression, and it can potentially discourage them from seeking proper professional help. There are many factors that can contribute to depression, and among them are also factors that are related to being in academia. By talking openly about depression, we can help to create a supportive and inclusive environment where students and researchers feel comfortable seeking help and support when they need it, but also be compassionate with fellow classmates and colleagues who might have depression. We have a guest today who will help us to understand depression a little better. She will also explain the most effective treatment approaches and misconceptions about them. Please welcome Professor Isabel Jovic. She's an experimental psychologist, a clinical neuroscientist, and a practicing psychotherapist. She's also the head of the Outpatient Clinic for Psychotherapy and Diagnostics at the Humboldt Universität zu Berlin and Chair of Clinical Psychology of Social Interaction. Hello, Professor Jovic. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. So first of all, let's start from the very basics. Could you please explain the specific symptoms of depression, and what are the main factors that contribute to it? So um, to start with, I think it's important to note that depression is a mood disorder. So really, um, right. that's what what it affects uh, most, and that's why um, the known symptoms include, for instance, feelings of sadness, uh, emptiness, um, self-blame, but also hopelessness. And together with this comes often a lack of interest in things that usually caused pleasure, such as a lack of interest in hobbies, um, sports, sexuality. And then also sleep disturbances are very often a part of a, a diagnosis of depression and also weight loss or weight gain, so an increase or decrease in, in, in appetite. Then thinking is disturbed um, often, so concentration is hard, um, memory is hard, you know, so yeah, different. Uh, there's really a whole list of symptoms that contribute uh, to a diagnosis of depression. I guess the cognitive factors are probably not the ones that you would think first uh, when you think about depression, but they're probably very relevant for also academic life. Yes, that is true. And um, I mean, with our aging society, um, it's actually also important to note that, it, that they are so strong sometimes that they are actually uh, mistaken for uh, a diagnosis of dementia often. So this differential mm -hmm. diagnosis between dementia and depression is actually a very relevant one. Interesting. So for example, if I feel like I might have some depressive symptoms or a friend of mine does, so kind of asking for a friend, um, what should I do? Where should I start? What can um, help me to cope with it or treat it? 
I mean, there's definitely many different approaches, given that uh, depression is such a prevalent mental disorder. It's so, you know, frequent in, in general society. Um, it has, um, you know, proportionally compared to other mental disorders, received a lot of attention in terms of what kind of that's approaches true. are available. That's that's good already, right? Um, so um, a choice of what you can do actually depends first on your own uh, needs and, and, and uh, priorities or also preferences, but then also how severe a depression is, for instance. Um, so if I should start listing you a, a few things um, that I'm also uh, favoring. Um, so let's say a friend approaches you with, uh, you know, let's say a rather mild uh, form of depression and you want to advise something, then I think uh, a good start is not necessarily um, starting with therapy and medication, you know, but but maybe taking a look at the life of that person, you know. Is there a social network? Is there social support? Um, you know, you, you have mentioned that my chair is called a Clinical Psychology of Social Interactions. So in our working group, we have a very large focus on the contribution of social interaction factors. So how many friends do you have? Do you have a partner? You know, how good is your social intelligence? Um, because we know that that contributes to mental health, not only physical health, but also mental health to both. So I think maintaining uh, a social life is very important uh, factor that can help you get out of depression. But then obviously, it's also other lifestyle factors such as, you know, doing sports, for instance, um, maintaining a healthy diet. Um, uh, but then also things such as, you know, meditation approach, for instance. So these are the, the, the maybe, you know, approaches um, that you can take in terms of modification of lifestyle. But then if depressive symptoms are more severe, then it definitely makes sense to seek therapy, to th uh, seek, for instance, cognitive behavioral therapy or depth psychological approaches. Um, in general, all these approaches have, have been shown to be very effective. So there are many studies by now, many hundred studies, I should say, uh, and very, very good studies, randomized control trials, so the gold standard of, of, of trials or studies uh, in this field that have shown that um, psychotherapy is very effective, is at least as effective as medication and, and probably uh, is longer lasting um, than medication. So psychotherapy is an evidence-based way to uh, treat depression. Absolutely. You can definitely say so. It's evidence-based, given that there are several hundred of these trials out there that do show good effectiveness of these approaches, yes. Uh, so you mentioned that there are different types of psychotherapy approaches. Mm -hmm. So how do I know which one would be suitable for me? That's sometimes not so easy to say. <laughs> uh, you know, um, um, I mean, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist. That's why I tend to believe, you know, that that's a, always a good start um, because uh, cognitive behavioral therapy focuses, um, relatively speaking, more on the here and now. Um, uh, you know, it, it has a lot of um, handy approaches, what you can change um, with respect to your lifestyle, how to increase activity, social network, all these things that we've just talked about to then see, you know, what effect does that have um, in uh, making the symptoms of depression better. Um, it also obviously works on negative thoughts. That's why the cognitive, in the cognitive behavior there, that's where it comes from. Um, because, you know, very often in everyday life, we don't feel bad because of necessarily the context or circumstances, but because of what we think about these circumstances. And so changing thought, changing negative thought about oneself, the world and others can have a very large um, effect on making depression better. 
more depth psychological approaches or psychoanalysis um, focuses more relatively speaking, you know, more on um, trying to understand where does that come from, uh, maybe also from the past and, and my patterns in relationship um, that I do not feel uh, very good. So it's more, um, it focuses somewhat more on interpretation and understanding of where my symptoms come from, rather than dealing in here now with uh, practical um, skills or solutions uh, to overcome it. Yeah. And for example, if I would like to seek therapy, where can I start? Or like, do I need a prescription in Germany, in German contexts? In Germany, you do not need a prescription. You can basically approach a psychotherapist and um, then we have, um, you know, certain uh, first uh, first hours that are called Sprechstunde uh, to get to know the patient and the problem. And through this first contact, the psychotherapist actually makes an estimate as to whether that person needs more attention, maybe needs even also attention from a psychiatrist, because, you know, only psychiatrists in Germany can prescribe medication. Psychotherapists cannot do that um, exactly. So they can then refer to psychiatrists if you need medication, if they think you need medication. Yes. If you are very seriously affected, let's say you have also suicidal tendencies, um, you know, and uh, you might need more attention, uh, then the psychotherapist might also refer you to a psychiatrist. Right. So let's actually talk a bit more about medication. I think um, we all heard about antidepressants and what should we know specifically about them. I think there are many misconceptions about them as well. So there are many different kinds. There are many different kinds. I mean, to name just, you know, a few, uh, the so-called SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, but then there's also other medications that target other neurotransmitters um, in the brain. Um, and, and I mean, generally speaking, um, obviously, uh, they kind of need minimal time commitment. You know, it's different than going to psychotherapy where you need to actually spend at least, uh, let's say, once a week, an hour, and you need to do a lot of homework and try, you know, um, to, to get things realized in everyday life. Uh, taking a pill every day is uh, obviously less time commitment, you know. And generally, certainly these SSRIs that I have mentioned are, are pretty, um, pe people tolerate them pretty well physically, although some people have side effects. I mean, in my eyes, and I've said that before, that uh, medication is often effective. And certainly for severe cases of um, depression, it's also advisable to work with depression at the same time and, and psychotherapy. But one thing is very important, namely that uh, psychotherapy, um, the, the effects are stronger, more lasting. And, and maybe for you to understand this, but it's uh, one factor that's very important for well-being in us humans is the level of control that you perceive as having over your life, you know, and, and changing something because you learned new skills to help yourself. You know, um, uh, with that, you really gain control over your life, whereas uh, taking a pill, you kind of give up control a bit, you know, whatever makes you then feel better, you attribute to an external means, namely to that pill. So your self-efficacy, your sense of control um, is not strengthened by that. And that, uh, I think, explains pretty well why these effects are typically less uh, long-lasting uh, when you take medications as opposed to doing psychotherapy. And as far as I know, if uh, someone takes a medication, it's also quite a long story. So it's not like taking medication for a month, but it has to be taken for longer periods, right? Yes. I mean, 
most of these medications actually start working only after two to four weeks, <laughs> you know, because they work with a certain receptor type and, and, and that's nothing, you know, it's not the quick fix, definitely not. And so, and then you need to see how, you know, how do you actually feel uh, when you take this over a longer period of time? So typically you take medication at least for half a year, most of the time actually for a year or two years, you know, and, and then it's advisable also to stop it, to see what happens, you know, if you go off of it. Um, but that's typically it's, yes, uh, it's, it's, it's longer time periods that you take it. So it's definitely also not like a very quick fix. No, exactly. So it definitely takes two to four weeks until you feel any effect. Right. So you mentioned social interactions. And I think one uh, event that affected all of our social interactions recently was, of course, COVID pandemic. So maybe you can talk a bit more about this and how this affected um, mental health of um, particular students and early career researchers. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, I would be happy to do so. So in general, um, yes, the, the pandemic um, has caused many people to suffer more from mental health conditions, although one has to say that there's definitely kind of a, a certain trajectory, you know, in the very beginning of the pandemic, um, what you could actually see is that people have large levels of resilience and, and uh, they can cope actually also with these extreme situations and actually mental health if you look at the large international surveys, um, tended to be even a big bit better over the first couple of months. Yes. And, and then it deteriorated, you know, over the next, um, two years. Although there was just a large meta analysis, um, being published a few weeks ago, um, where many studies, more than 100 studies went into mostly from industrialized countries. And they show, um, that yes, um, people have suffered. So depression is more prevalent, um, ever since. Um, but that people are disproportionately affected different, different groups of people. So women are affected more actually and you know that they have paid somewhat of a higher toll during the yeah, pandemic I can you imagine. Know, um, going off of the work doing the the child care more um, taking uh, care of this um, older people and actually um, people students students people uh, in education early career researchers have also suffered disproportionately much Although I have to say in general, um, the numbers vary a bit here in Germany. We have the Robert Koch Institute, which is a large survey of a representative sample of several thousand um, people. So those people are tracked over the decades, really, to see how well they are doing. And there you could see actually an increase in depression of almost 100%. Um, so from 10% of people that feel, you know, levels of depression that are clinically significant uh, to, I think, 18%, um, something like this. Whereas in some of these international surveys, it doesn't seem to be so bad. There's a, somewhat of an increase, uh, but not as bad as sometimes people tend to think. And maybe what I haven't uh, answered yet is this uh, early career research, um, research because in, in my group, um, the students have actually conducted a, a study, um, Lena Matiek and um, Kati Bögel, as well as Sandra Naumann. Uh, they have started a really uh, nice studies uh, among the Berlin international community of early career researchers, mostly PhD students, and asked them um, how their mental health is and, 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 you know, is now compared to, you know, uh, during the pandemic. Um, and I think I took part in it. Actually. Oh, you also yes. took part yes. in it. Okay, yeah. very nice. And so we, we just published that work um, a month or two months ago, um, showing that definitely mental health has deteriorated, that about 
I think, 100% more than in the general population, early career re research suffer from burnout and depression, or at least indicate that they have it. We haven't clinically investigated this with, let's say, uh, standardized interviews, but we have people asked, uh, asked individuals for their um, subjective um, experience. And um, yes, many, many suffer from burnout, actually also often related to um, th their career and, and to insecurities in their career, insecurities in supervision. Um, so, so that is, um, yeah, that is really bad and alarming, um, very alarming. So also from personal experience, I know that if you're uh, feeling uh, somewhat down or depressed and you maybe think sometimes that maybe you should get some help, it's often very hard to get help. So what would be your advice to someone who would like to maybe start uh, psychotherapy or maybe you know someone who would benefit from it? So uh, how one could uh, encourage someone to get help, especially yeah. students? I mean, first of all, I think there's... Um, different approaches or, or offers um, that you can take a look at. So, for instance, the Scholar Minds Initiative, right, yes. that uh, Bastia in Berlin has put out a wonderful website that uh, lists many resources um, of where to find help, how to find help here in Germany, also as an international student. Um, but they also list um, many tools that you can use for free. Um, there are digital means already, you know, to tackle depression, um, um, and obviously also there is now, fortunately, at u most universities, there are counseling systems or, or counselors that help um, with mental health problems uh, such as depression. So um, I think a good start is uh, referring to these websites to first get information on the services available um, and the ways uh, to approach them. Uh, but then psychotherapy, there's, there's also websites, um, su such as therapy.de, uh, so therapy.de, um, where you have different filter functions, where you can look for therapists that are close to you, um, where you can indicate which gender, uh, you would like to, uh, to have a therapist, to have, um, different approaches and so forth. So that's a, that's a good start too. Um, but then in general, I mean, there's also self-help group. Uh, I don't know if that's, uh, if there are self-help groups also for students specifically, but my experience is that it can also help tremendously to talk uh, to people in a group, you know, that have similar problems, um, with mood and, and self-worth. Um, so there's something we call universality of, of suffering. So if you experience that others are also actually in, 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 a, in a space that is rather dark, you know, it can help um, to share stories um, and to see that you're not the only one in the world who suffers. Right. Uh, one thing that I definitely experienced when I was considering also uh, seeking help is this vicious circle of either feeling quite well and thinking, oh, I'm re really doing well, so I don't probably need any help. I, I'm more focused on actually doing things. Or then when I felt down, I really didn't have any extra energy to actually start looking for help. And it really felt for a long time as a vicious circle. So do you have any tips how to get out of this vicious circle and actually start seeking help? Or maybe also for people who observe someone next to them uh, being in this uh, vicious circle? I mean, if it's somebody you know well and you feel you're not crossing any any boundaries, then it's definitely good to start talking about it, you know, carefully to ask questions. 
it seems you're not doing so well, you know, do you want to talk about this? So lend an ear uh, to people and then maybe suggest ideas that you that you might have. You know, we've talked about some, you know, website with information, digital tools that you can use for free, um, self-help groups and so forth or counseling services. And then maybe if it's somebody um, you know well and you are perceiving something with them, similar to what you just talked about, namely the circles, you know, person is doing good and then person is doing not good again and so forth. So maybe uh, you meet that person in a phase when uh, she or he is feeling rather well and, and then you know you say, okay, now you seem to have the energy. I actually have observed that <laughs> over time that you you know may go into a hole again. So uh, why don't you set up a system now that will um, be able to help you um, then uh, once this, the, the next hole comes, right? Um, so because if you're yourself in the situation you might have a hard time getting yourself out of this uh, but maybe maybe not maybe you can set up the system for yourself now you have been very self-reflective now you know um, it would be great if you know about yourself and these cycles you know to try a Uh, try and set up a system for yourself um, so that once the next hole comes, um, you have some measures in place to help you. Yeah, I think that's a very important point to actually start figuring out what you can do uh, really on this kind of uh, high point of yes. your waves. Yeah, so yeah, really absolutely. Not neglected yeah, yeah. Uh, in that time, yeah. even it might feel like, yeah, I'd rather do something else, something more fun, something that I actually enjoy doing normally yeah, yeah. but really yeah. invest this time because yes. uh, this um, absolutely uh, will serve you yes. when you're on a different point in this uh, yes. curve and maybe i mean if you still or already know that it will still be hard for you to get you know out of this or set up a system for yourself then i think disclosure two good friends two family members is a very good uh, way of going about it so so tell others um, that are close to you about these cycles that you have, right? And that you, that you would appreciate, um, help to set up a system now, um, because you know, now that you're feeling well, you're rather productive, finally productive again, you know, yes. finally pursuing a hobby again, uh, then setting up that system. So maybe, you know, others can give you a hand in setting that uh, up that system and also tracking once you start coming into a hole, because you might not have the strength then reaching out, exactly. you know, or then opening up to others. But if you have, uh, alerted somebody that's close to you hey point at me when you experience me withdrawing again not going out again or looking sad or something uh, please address this uh, and remind me that i had promised you to to then seek help or something Right. And I guess with COVID-19 pandemic, that was also one of the difficulties that people were disconnected, maybe were not yes. seeing each other on the regular basis. And it was very easy to just uh, lose sight of uh, your friends or also yes. uh, yourself because, okay, you don't see friends because there's a pandemic. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, there's a perfect reason why you don't do this. Absolutely. And and we know this now also from research. I mean, we do know from our study in early career researchers that loneliness has increased tremendously in that time. And we know that it is associated with mental health deterioration. You know, so, and that's not only our research, also other shows. Loneliness is a major factor in nowadays uh, societies. And it definitely contributes largely to pe people feeling bad, badly. Absolutely. And coming back to the students and early career researchers, uh, 
context. I think this loneliness factor is really um, a significant one uh, for a PhD students, for example, who moved, uh, just moved for their PhD somewhere else and maybe don't have this established Absolutely. network. And then if the pandemic happens, then these factors, just the interaction between yes. them plays, I think, a very big role. Absolutely. And certainly for those that come from international contexts, you know, because when you are at least in Germany, even in another city, you know, you might feel more familiar with the cultural context and you kind of know how to find a hobby or, or other things even despite the pandemic. But if you come from a very different cultural background, you don't speak the language very well. You don't have a, a network in that country, you know. And that's what I what I saw in, in my group, actually, also, because I have people from all over the world in my group, and they had the hardest time during the pandemic. Um, and that's why it's so important now that the pandemic uh, has come to an end, uh, fortunately, to oh, get yes. people back into the <laughs> yeah. lab, you know, uh, to, to, to strengthen lab, lab culture again. Because I have to say, certainly some of the more senior researchers, they actually find it quite cozy to, to work in home office a lot now. And it's true, right. it's, you know, a new freedom, and uh, new opportunities to, to work from anywhere. But um, I, I still stress for all of the people in the group that for the early career research is so important in the beginning to form this network, to have lab culture, lab life, you know, with joint lunch, with talking to people in the hallway about uh, your work and about your hobbies, you know, bonding. Um, so, so I really make it a point very often in the meetings and say, guys, you have to come back to the lab. Um, you know, I want to see you here at least three times a week or more, <laughs> you know, um, so that that lab life can happen. Yeah, for me, it was definitely a big factor. So I also tried to come back to the lab as soon as it was possible to do it safely. Because I also live alone and uh, I'm an international student. Yes. So I think all the factors were combined in my yes. case, for yeah. sure. And um, so, yeah, as a, a PI and you have your own lab and PhD students as well, from my experience, sometimes for especially international students who don't have this network, Sometimes uh, your supervisor is the only person that you meet uh, regularly. And um, although this podcast is mostly aimed for uh, students and early career researchers, but from the perspective of a PI. So, for example, if you notice that one of your students is struggling and maybe going into this kind of hole, what actions you can take as a PI also without kind of invading personal boundaries. So maybe that could be also helpful for yeah. others. So what I have done, I mean, obviously, um, I notice when somebody's not doing well, because very often, obviously, most of the time the work suffers. You know? Right. Uh, things are not handed in in time and uh, motivation is low. And also, obviously, I see it in, you know, gestures, facial expressions and so forth when I meet. And I always regularly meet uh, PhD students in my group. Um, and then I do note this and I do ask people actually explicitly how they are doing. And I encourage to talk about mental health. I don't necessarily encourage to share uh, very personal information if that's something that uh, where they don't want to go that's mm -hmm. fine um, but I encourage uh, to be open about uh, mental health issues and actually in many cases I've already tried to refer to a therapist or hinted at um, you know student counseling or or other services um, that are available I do encourage people to take breaks so rather than uh, trying to to work very hard you know 
and only being able to give power through yes 50 percent of your strength which in the end is very discouraging because whenever you try you know and work and can't give your full potential that makes you so frustrated and so forth so i always say take off you know mm -hmm. take two weeks four weeks off uh, get better do things that that do you well you know see your friends go go back home see your family whatever and then come back and then try you know uh, to work uh, full time you know if you can so that's that's definitely better than than trying for a long time to work on on, on 20 or 50 percent um yeah so i think having open ears and eyes as a supervisor that's very important um trying to to have um, an attitude about yourself that makes sharing likely um trying to foster lab life as we've just seen you know because the the biggest strength i think early career res researchers get out of other career researchers um early career researchers forming friendships you know having a social life together doing the studies together that's that's something i cannot provide as supervisors but i can support these bondings you know i mean we, we have bought this, now a new yeah. kitchen for instance and we get a new coffee machine nice. that might seem you know trivial but at the same time uh, providing a meeting space that That is nice, that is cozy um, in the lab, you know, does foster uh, group uh, group formation, <laughs> you know, so so these things. Totally agree. I'm also a huge fan of uh, fostering Could lab culture you, yes. specifically and uh, explicitly. Yeah. Could you think of one piece of advice that you uh, could give to students and early career researchers regarding depression and approaching it if you think you might have it? Well, there's so many many things one could advise but i think it's very important to not get tied up too much with work and career you know i know it's an important phase and um i have also invested a lot when i was in early careers at times too much you know so and that's what i see in the phd students in my group they tend to invest too much time um and and if if mental health gets shaky or if one is vulnerable or times are you know as as now a lot of crises yeah. out there yeah. i think one needs to take really care of having a private life having a social life maintaining hobbies finding new hobbies you know so make an effort to 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 take some time during the week um to actually pursue those hobbies and friendships you know and Take a weekend. I mean, don't just work crazy hours and, and through the weekend. In the end, it falls back on you uh, negatively uh, because you need to fuel those batteries um, uh, to be able to, to give a lot of energy into work. So don't forget about that part of life. Right. That's a great advice. And uh, before we finish, um, maybe you could um, give us some kind of a little homework or exercise or something that our listeners can uh, think about after the podcast is over. Well, maybe in that vein, um, take some time, call a friend, go out, have a drink, you know, go and meditate, <laughs> go to a yoga class. <laughs> um, so, so do something for yourself that is not work related. Great. Thank you so much, Professor Durbeck, for joining us today and for your advice. Thank you for having me. We remind you that you can find how to contact us and other useful details in the show notes. The transcripts are available on smartandwell.buzzproud.com. Subscribe to the Smart and Well podcast on your preferred podcast app. You're more than welcome to share it with your friends and colleagues. Thank you for listening. Take care. Be smart and stay well. Well.